Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting Presents Video Nasty Andy. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's been doing well in the world recently. Um, first off, apologies for it taking me a little bit longer than expected to get this next episode out. Work has just been manic lately, so I'm having to do it as and when I can. But not to worry, we're back anyway. Um, before we get into this month's Video Nasty movie, which is Last House on the Left, I think we could have a look at a couple of horror films which have been released this year so far. Uh, we'll have a look at Amulet, but first we'll do Scream. This isn't funny, Amber. When do you like to play a game, Tara? So it's coming 26 years after the original movie came out. The film here goes full circle. Um, from a storytelling point of view, it feels very much as though the threads of the story are finally closed off for the main characters. Uh, if we are to see a Scream 6, which, who knows, to be perfectly honest, the IP's there and they generally like to keep it going as long as it's making money. If they do come back for a 6, though, I highly doubt we will see Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and the former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette. Their stories are very much complete now. If I'm being brutally honest, I think that their stories are probably complete after the third film. Their presence in the fourth and the fifth film was simply to placate fans of the series. And especially in the fifth one, it was just another attempt to pass the torch to the replacement characters, which didn't quite work in the fourth film. Generally speaking, I have enjoyed the film series. They're not overly challenging. You know, they are pretty fun movies. They pay homage to the wider genre. But at times, this one feels like it's been a little bit too much of a smart arse. It occasionally drifts from being silly fun to being a little bit pretentious, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, there's even parts where it feels like it's trying to insult your intelligence, like it's thumbing its nose at you in parts. For example, like the recreation of the famous opening scene from 1996, the Drew Barrymore, what's your favourite scary movie? It gets recreated here. And the new girl, she responds with, The Babadook, it's an amazing meditation on motherhood and grief. It's elevated horror. It's scary, but with complex emotional and thematic underpinnings. Not some schlocky cheeseball nonsense with wall-to-wall -wall jump scares. Like treating this as though that's something shiny and new in horror. Like anything pre-2010 is just a schlock fest, which just doesn't ring true. Elevated horror is just a pretentious term. Like it's a way for someone to appear like that they, they're smarter than they are. Elevated horror is bullshit. All horror is elevated horror. If you can't see the elevation in the schlocky films, then you're probably just not as smart as you think you are. Another instance of this, they just grind a joke into the ground. And it was the pullback and reveal. You all know the scene. A character is stood next to a door. The music builds with tension. The door opens. The music stops suddenly. And no one's there. But then the surprise happens when they turn around. They did this five, six times. All within one scene. It's like... Yeah, we, we know the joke, but 
at least do something a little bit more original with it. Subvert my expectations, please. Once you've done it once, we know you're going to do it again and again and again and again. I think maybe the standardised character templates throughout were quite funny to watch because they were just walking archetypes at times and it was a fun way to mock the genre but they didn't really have anything fresh or interesting to say about the slasher ultimately. And whilst Scream 5 was fun for the most, it was a little bit hollow and didn't parody the slasher anywhere near as effectively or with as much knowing wit as the original did all those years ago. I don't know there ever will be a film which can be as successful in satirising the genre as that first Scream did. Scream 5 was probably a three-star film for me. It was an improvement on the third film, maybe on a par with the fourth film. One for the completionists and, you know, any folks out there who likes to cock a snook at the established cinema tropes. Sadly, the reveals weren't as surprising as you'd hoped. In trying to be meta, they ended up leaning far too heavily on the well-trodden slasher cliches, sadly. It could have been so much more, I feel. Amulet, though. Amulet was something else. This is Magda. Her mother lives on the top floor. She's very ill. Why me? You're a builder, right? That's what you said? You try to make things bearable for them. She needs companionship. Mother won't like it. Magda is young, Thomas. She could become attached. What's wrong with her? It has to be this way. I'm afraid. It's the debut feature film from Romola Garay, uh, who you may know from Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. She's primarily known as an actor, but this was her first directorial film. Uh, it's a film about an ex-soldier now living homeless in the UK, he gets offered a place to live so long as he helps the young woman look after her mother, who is possessed by a demon. I don't want to spoil anything in this film, as I thought it was a really interesting and a very good movie all round. It doesn't feel overly traditional, but there are elements which do feel very familiar about it. Uh, the film is set across two time periods, the historic with Tomas guarding the border in his native country and how he's taking care of someone who is on the run. And the second, which is the main storyline, which is Tomas living with Magda and her mother. Those bumps in the night ensure that the budding friendship, or maybe even romance between Tomas and Magda, it ensures that there's this greater presence hanging over them, further helped by this thickly folksy gothic cinematography and this astounding use of photography throughout. I was so impressed. The film, unsurprisingly, because all horror is elevated horror, it's stuffed chock full of the politics of war, of how we view genders, you know, of gender politics in general. There is so much to this beyond the, the facade of the film. You can almost taste the inspiration of a Ben Wheatley. Like you can see where Romola has got her 
inspiration from in her directorial style. There's some proper folk horror elements to it. And there's gothic, gothic traits in there, which reminded me of El Orfanato from 2007, um, a Spanish horror film, which just probably hasn't been seen by enough people. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and the ending here, like the ending, he managed to out hereditary, hereditary. It was, I mean, off the wall doesn't even begin to encompass how batshit insane the ending was. I fear that some people may get lost in the ending. Um, I think the ending you will either love or you will hate, but it's very much the journey, not the destination on this one. The two main actors in this film for Tomas and Magda were fantastic. You feared for them and you feared with them, which is exactly what you need to do in a horror film. But Imelda Staunton, honestly, ever since seeing her as Dolores Umbridge, I've just never been able to trust her in a film. And this is no exception. She isn't here for a long time, but she's definitely here for a good time. Swings for the fences with this performance and it's fantastic fun. She was brilliant. It's a solid four star film for me. I think it might be the first must-see horror of 2022, personally. Uh, next month, I'm probably going to be looking at the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. I haven't had a chance to have a look yet, so uh, I'll check that out over the next few weeks, and we'll, we'll review that one when we get to it. Anyway, that's the new stuff. Let's go back, way back, and we'll look at the start of our Video Nasties films with the earliest produced movie to be eventually prosecuted. And that will be the directorial debut of Wes Craven, Last House on the Left. So following the furore around Straw Dogs and A Clockwork Orange, Last House on the Left was refused certification by the BBFC in 1974, thereby denying it a theatrical release. So it was released on VHS unrated. And as we know at this time, the VHSs just weren't subjected to the same rules as public cinema viewed films, not until 1984 when the Video Recordings Act was passed. Obviously, you can hear all about that on the previous episodes of this spin-off podcast. Stateside, Last House was released with an R rating following a number of cuts. However, so shocking was the film that audience members demanded that cinemas destroy the film, occasionally going as far as stealing the movie reels. To combat this, some projectionists made their own edits to the movie, so you may have been able to see a completely different version of the same film at neighbouring cinemas. A couple of years later, in 1974, Last House hopped across the ocean and landed on our very shores, Knowing that our old pal Mary Whitehouse would likely kick up a storm, and thanks to our overly oppressive BBFC rules, um, that the movie was likely to go down like a fart in a submarine. So what they did was the distributor sent a covering letter, which said that The Last House on the Left was not a violent film, although it does have some menacing undertones, and that they had already made considerable cuts eliminating much of the goriness from the full-length version. They only wished to be presented in the same way that, say, Don't Look Now was presented. I mean, shit. Don't Look Now has some strong scenes showing the death of a, a child by drowning, and it's got some like overtones of occultism. 
and a no-fooling full-on sex scene. But the distributors of this film were trying to compare Last House to Don't Look Now. That is a big swing and a miss. Needless to say, the BBFC were not impressed. The BBFC secretary, Stephen Murphy, responded that they found no redeeming merit in script, in acting, in character development or in direction, which would lead us to feel that this muddy film is worth salvaging. Finally summarising that, we have to reject the picture. If we are, go if we are to go into this area of sexual violence, it will have to be for a film in which we detect greater merits than this. If nothing else, this response from the BBFC makes me think the horror genre has always been treated with nothing but disdain from those in the positions of power. When asked what further cuts would be required in order to get the movie certificated for a cinema release, Murphy said that the film cannot be considered under any circumstances, and I quote, it is not that we object to a particular passage in the film. We are saying that we find the whole feel of the film wrong and that our judgment is taken over the film as a whole. If we could see any way of cutting it to make it acceptable, then we would offer cuts. So as we've previously discussed, around this time began the rise of the home entertainment revolution. So just because it couldn't hit the cinemas didn't mean that it wouldn't be distributed unclassified on VHS until the Video Recordings Act, obviously. Uh, Last House had a short life on VHS as it was released three years prior to the Act coming into enforcement. Once the Act was introduced, the movie wasn't submitted for video classification one would only assume that was because it would, they knew it would be a waste of their time based on Murphy's previous uh, letters. There was a one-off screening as part of a retrospective of Wes Craven's work in 1988. No action was taken against London National Film Theatre for its showing, but the BBFC director, James Furman, stated he would still regard the movie as unacceptable for classification. Eleven years later... Furman finally stepped down. The Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which were two of the more high-profile band films, they were finally granted certification. Last House was finally submitted once again. Obviously, by this point, Wes Craven had become one of the biggest names in horror cinema. Um, and the film, it had gained a cult following because of it being banned for so long. However, citing the fact that the film was convicted under the Obscene Publications Act and also the sexual nature of this movie as the sticking point, the distributors were offered certification on the basis of 90 seconds worth of cuts. The changing attitudes towards Texas Chainsaw and The Exorcist were more around the horror elements. And if Last House was more of a pure horror film, it likely would have been okay. But it was those rape scenes... They were still deemed too permissive to show us Brits, even in the early 2000s. The cuts required were designed to reduce the sexual humiliation and violence towards the girls, specifically the stripping, the forced urination, the rape and the murder. Which, if you cut all of that out, you've just got a film about a girl going to a concert with her friend. Like, that's pretty much the whole film. Feeling that the selling point of the movie was in those moments of extremity, the distributors said no to the proposals. So it was refused certification in March 2000 once again. It was the first film in a decade to be refused cinema classification. 
I had a look at what other films had been outright refused. Uh, there were mostly films which, if we were to look at Stu's Google search history, I'm sure we would find them. Unrelated, Texas Vibrator Massacre might be the funniest name of any film I've ever heard. Uh, the BBFC report for why that was banned. That's something else. Banned due to containing a significant amount of eroticised sexual violence and for scenes of intercourse between characters intended to be brother and sister. The original version, rated triple X in the US, to indicate hardcore pornography, runs at 96 minutes. The version submitted to the BBFC was 20 minutes shorter than this and had already had all the unsimulated sexual activity and sight of semen removed to satisfy the guidelines for 18 as opposed to R18. R18 is for films which can only be licensed to sex shops. But the violence and incestuous setup are considered equally unacceptable in material intended for sexual arousal of the viewer, irrespective of explicitness. Fucking hell, what a movie. Must have to try and find that one out for a future episode. On the whole, I think the film is good. I, I even think without the infamy of it being a banned video nasty that Last House would still have continued to have a life. Maybe not only as a cult classic, but as a classic of the revenge horror subgenre. You can still see its footprints in modern films like Mandy and The Neon Demon. And above the cultural imprint, if you have the historic relevance of this movie, Last House on the left was the feature film debut of Wes Craven, arguably the first name in the slasher horror genre. Franchises such as The Hills Have Eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street and getting another mention here, Scream. If you're a fan of horror, you've almost certainly seen a number of that man's movies. And no Craven rewatch would be complete without the first steps onto the silver screen with Last House. And yes, this, this film feels visceral. Whilst the camera work is shoddy at times, there is a real sense of dread to it. It's constantly there, hanging over the movie especially during the torture and the escape attempt scenes. For a 1972 low-budget indie film, it's got a lot of stomach turn than you would expect to it. Between the tracked camera shots and the bloody fuck that we get shown in PG horror now, there's nothing quite like the gorilla-style location shoots or the handmade buckets of fake blood which are used to make the disemboweled body parts of Phyllis look as fucked up as you could imagine. As an aside, the fake blood here is some of the most authentic looking blood I've ever seen on screen. It's really impressive. The acting is a little bit hit and miss, as you'd expect from an indie film, especially back in the 70s. The best of it obviously comes from the victims, though. The, the fear was real. I don't think there was a lot of acting, and there's even one story about Sandra Peabody. She was so terrified throughout the shoot that she actually walked off set she had to be convinced to return to finish the film. Allegedly, during the scene where her character was ordered by the captors to quote-unquote piss her pants, the actor actually urinated in her jeans. That's either commitment above and beyond, or there is genuine fear coming through. It's likely the second, but either way, it works for the movie. For all the good, though, there are some moments which don't quite hit home. There's a very weird comic relief to the film, um, like, don't get me wrong, like every good dessert, you need something sharp to cut through the sweetness. And horror occasionally needs that bit of levity 
But the cops in this movie were so far removed from what was going on on screen. They bordered on Benny Hill kind of comedy, not helped by the soundtrack of the dueling banjos. I mean, that is not the music of a rape-revenge horror. That is the music of a slapstick comedy. That is the music that sounds like it's from Cannonball Run, for crying out loud. That just felt so out of place. And I, I realised that they tried to do it to show this juxtaposition of this silly comedic element next to this horrible, nasty, visceral rape and torture. But it was too far removed. Like, if you're going to do comedy, at least try and set it in the same world. It was slapstick next to outright violence. It didn't work. It was too much. And these cops, they, they just felt like the Three Stooges being put into a vicious, bloody rape story at the end of it all. And that didn't work for me. There's another scene right at the very or towards the very end where the character Mary breathes and moves when her parents find her body. Apparently the original intention was that she would still be alive by this point and would be able to identify her attackers before dying. But we're told that she's dead and then we, we literally see her moving. I don't think it would have taken too much to have just done a little bit better editing around this part just to make it quite obvious that the character was dead. And similarly, when the killers first pull out Phyllis's severed arm to show Mary... The fingers are moving on the uh, the severed arm. Again, it doesn't take a lot to take someone out of the film. And yet those, those details absolutely did that. They spoiled something that was difficult enough to suspend your disbelief with. Overall, I think if you're a fan of horror, I would strongly recommend this film. It's a schlocky rape revenge and it's mostly gruesome. Um... Even by today's standards, it's really quite gruesome. But if you've ever enjoyed Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, anything by Wes Craven, I think you should see where his directorial career began. And I would fully recommend this movie. I think for the time, it probably earned its place on the Video Nasties list, if I'm being honest. Um, but we have moved on from where we were back then. And I don't think it probably has the same impact as it did back then but i would say to go out of your way to watch it if you like a horror by all accounts i don't think that will be the same for a lot of the movies on the video nasties list but this one absolutely is worth the while seeking out so the plan is for next month is going to be driller killer um managed to pick that one up on dvd so i'll give that a watch and try and get it done by the end of march and we'll also have a look at a couple of other horror films that are coming out. Obviously, we've got The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, which I believe is a requel. After our conversation about requels on one of our most recent episodes, um, I think it's a sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So we'll try and give that a watch. If you're aware of any of the horrors that have been released or are due to be released, please let me know because I want to give them a watch and then we can give them a review on this. And that would be great. So we'll sign off this episode. Um, please make sure you've got us on the Twitter and Instagram at CageFightingPods. Emails to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Please make sure that you're subscribed, but I'm pretty sure that you are by now. And make sure you tell a friend because we want to try and get as many people listening to our podcast as we can. Uh, next week, we've got a review of Nick Cage's Primal. 
um, which is something else. But you can join us on that one on Monday. So take care and remember, be excellent to each other.